This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. We're glad that you've joined us for another episode of the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I know I'm glad to be back and to get to do another interview with someone who has influenced a lot of people, including me and including you, Pastor Jimmy. No question about it. Today, we're talking, Leslie, to one of my heroes in ministry, a man who is passionate about spreading the gospel and challenging other pastors to do the same, Pastor Johnny Hunt. And Mm -hmm. Leslie, okay, the first time I ever heard Johnny Hunt preach, I was on my way driving to seminary okay. in 1994 from Jacksonville, and someone had given me these tapes of this guy. They said, this guy is the most passionate, mm-hmm. dynamic preacher that you're ever going to hear. And I had cassette tapes, and I put those in my car and listened to about four of those Johnny Hunt sermons all the way when I was driving from Jacksonville, Florida to Louisville, Kentucky. And then I always wanted to meet him, and I never had the chance to meet him until just really a few years ago. And then we've become friends, and he's been a great blessing to my life and my my ministry. And so at this point, Leslie, let's just turn to our interview with Pastor Johnny. Let's do it. Hey, Pastor Johnny, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us, man. I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your family and your ministry and what's going on at Woodstock and how long you were there and what you're doing now. Well, thanks. It's a joy to be with you. Yeah, I've um, got a, a wife of 49 years this coming Congratulations. So, uh, I yeah. think she's going to keep me. <laughs> <laughs> I say uh, so. Two grown daughters. One of my daughters, Deanna, married into the New Song family, and they managed the uh, Winter Jam Tour across America, along with a lot of other special conferences. So they're all serving the Lord. And then my youngest daughter, Holly, is married to a young church planter, and they're serving in Columbus, Ohio. So I've got four grandchildren, and one of them recently, Katie, was married. Wow. She married a musician in a group called OBB that's becoming popular not only in Christian music, but they've crossed over into some really kind of teenager pop music and really at the top of the charts. So we're excited for them, and um, we're just loving life. We're uh, here at Woodstock. I'm in my 33rd year. And I will be with them until the end of the year, Lord willing. All right. And then what is next for you? And you've already kind of made a little bit of a transition, but what are you doing in addition to what's happening at Woodstock? Well, I've uh, accepted a position as Senior Vice President of Evangelism and Pastoral Leadership at the North American Mission Board. So believe it or not, I'm attempting to do... uh, a decent job with being a co-pastor with the young man I brought in as my replacement and then doing a good bit of conferences during the week with North American Mission Board. So really excited about the transition and about both things that are happening in our life. Man, Leslie, I follow Pastor Johnny on social media, and it seems like he is everywhere. I do, too, and he does seem like he's everywhere. I'm surprised to hear that he's still there at Woodstock, so I'm sure he's giving great leadership to that transition. No question about it. Hey, Pastor Johnny, let's talk a little bit about evangelism and the life of the pastor. You've been a successful pastor and a powerful pastor for a long time, and you've you've influenced just hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of pastors. 
How important is evangelism for the life of the pastor and for the health of a church? You know, I've often simply tried to say that whatever's important to the pastor is what's important to the people. And the truth is, Jimmy, if the pastor is not passionately involved in evangelism, it's going to be extremely difficult to get the people. He's going to have to model and motivate in the area of evangelism. And we're really seeing this starting to to take off again. We've certainly always been a great commission denomination, a really evangelistic fervor people, but yet we've lost a little of our edge in recent days. But we really are encouraged that so quickly, not only are pastors acknowledging their frustration by the lack of growth in their church, the lack of evangelism in their own personal life, but now with some of the initiatives that we're rolling out, they're seeming to really get their arms around it, put their hearts in it, and lead their people in a new day of evangelism. Why don't you talk a little bit about the initiatives that you are rolling out to help pastors do what you're talking about in their own personal life and in their churches? Already this morning, I just left a meeting, and 20,000 of our Southern Baptist churches already have in hand a Who's Your One Kit. So an initiative that J.D. Greer, as president of convention, and myself in leading evangelism, have both made a commitment to trump this for the next two years at least and to really ask God to help us and grant us the grace that we can put evangelism back on the front burner, challenging every local Southern Baptist church and anyone else that will listen to simply say, as a member of the body of Christ, I'm praying that God lay one person in particular on my heart. And over the next 12 months, I'm going to be in personal devotion, my own heart, praying for my one daily. And by the end of the year, or hopefully long before, to see that one person come to faith in Christ. Now, that sounds like a small initiative. However, 5200000 and some change show up every Sunday on a Southern Baptist Convention church platform. If only 10% of our people bought in, we would not only baptize twice as many as last year, we would baptize more than Southern Baptists have ever baptized in a given year. If only 10% of our people led one person to faith in Christ. And so we're excited. People are able to get their mind around it, their hearts around it, their arms around it. And we really believe this initiative is going to uh, to just be full steam in, in a real short period of time, and we're going to see a change. Well, I'm really excited about it, and our church is certainly participating. And so a lot of our listeners may not be uh, one of the 20,000 who got the kits. Can they find that on the North American Boards Mission Board's uh, website, or what would be the best thing for them to do? Best thing to do is go to whosyourone.com, and you literally can download everything that we have available or order it from us, and we'll ship it to you. So some people maybe haven't gotten it yet. Many of the state conventions are picking up hundreds of more kits because they're receiving word in their state, but they haven't received one. And so, yeah, whosyourone.com. And they can download the prayer cards, they can download the uh, devotionals, hear the sermons, everything they need to know about it. Or they can request of us to send them the material, and we'll do that as well. 
Well, Pastor Johnny, I want to switch gears a little bit. One of the hallmarks of your ministry is you are an encourager. Uh, You have made it your business to be an encourager to other pastors for your entire ministry. And that's why I believe you started the Timothy and Barnabas movement. Could you talk a little bit about what you have done to encourage other pastors and how important that is that pastors encourage one another? Okay, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, We're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year at Timothy Barnabas Retreats, Conferences. That's a ministry that I felt the Lord wanted me to give to North American Mission Board last year, even before I even entertained this transition. And really for posterity's sake, I want to see it continue because it has not only brought instruction, as Paul did to Timothy, but encouragement, as Barnabas did, to every life that he touched. I've often said that the average pastor doesn't necessarily need a whole lot more instruction, but we always need to be encouraged in what we already know. And so encouragement, you know, is uh, really that which fuels enthusiasm. And so when a person's encouraged, it's just amazing uh, what God can do with an encouraged heart. And so pastors spend most of their time pouring into their congregation, to hurting families, to families in need, families in crisis. And the question is often, who encourages those who spend most of their time encouraging others? And so we feel this ministry has allowed us to do that, along with like a city of refuge to to give a refuge for a pastor that's hurting, his family's hurting, he's made poor choices. So we've really developed several ministries with the the main purpose in mind of encouraging those within our own ranks to keep the zeal in their heart for the things God called them to do. So Pastor Johnny, can you think of any stories that come to mind when you think of pastors that you've encouraged over the years? We have one pastor that became part of our ministry, and he he was really ready to leave. He basically vacated his position and just came and moved his family to Woodstock. And after a period of time of real encouragement and counsel, he not only reengaged in ministry as a pastor today, but two of his three sons feel that God's called them to ministry. So we didn't just help a pastor. We helped his whole family. Mm-hmm. And now in, literally the entire family is engaged in ministry and two will actually be preparing for ministry. One of my favorite stories is a family came to Timothy Barnabas and it was sort of like, if God doesn't do something in my life over these next three days in this conference, we're going to quit. But none of us knew that. Mm-hmm. So they sat at the table with four other couples. And the problem is isolation. The enemy always wants to isolate us and make us think we're the only ones that are challenged and struggling. After an evening of sitting around the table and hearing the other four couples talk about their challenges, they later told me they went back to the room and said, you know what? We had the best church at the table. (laughs) And they said it just encouraged them to realize that we're not in this alone. We're not the only one that's battling. And that's not just true across Southern Baptist lines. I've preached all over the world. People all over the world have found themselves in isolation. They get so busy in their work, they're not fellowshipping with others or talking to others and sometimes embarrassed to talk about their struggles only to find out that the rest of us are having the same struggles. 
There's no doubt that normalizing the normal is a great encouragement, isn't it? When you find out, hey, what I'm going through feels unique, but it's really not as unique as I might think. Not at all. There's no temptation taking us, but such is common. So one translator said that's like saying, if you're struggling with it, a million others are. <laughs> yeah, I think there's no question about that. Hey, Pastor Johnny, again, switching gears, you recently, you're in the middle of a gigantic life transition. We talked a little bit about it, your shift from your primary ministry being at First Baptist Woodstock to your primary ministry being the senior vice president of evangelism at the North American Mission Board. Pastor Johnny, I'm just fascinated by this. You've been such a successful pastor and your church has such a a massive impact in ministry. How did you know that it was time for you to make that kind of a move? That seems strikes me as just an incredibly difficult choice and a really a bold decision. You know, in the early days, I used to talk to my wife a lot about so many of our friends that were breaking up. And uh, one day I was studying the word provision. And, you know, we talk about how the man provides and all and really, the word provision is a Latin word that's really provision. I think what draws a couple together is they they talk about their life together, their likes in life, and and they just see they have so much in common. And the vision that each of them casts for their lives really becomes very attractional. And we have to continue to do that. Where there's no vision, the people perish. So basically. Uh, my wife and I, for probably 15 years, uh, we'd go away on a sabbatical or vacation, and we would just dream together. We would talk about, you know, maybe one day if God gives us health, instead of saying, I want to stay at the church as long as I can physically do it, we begin to say, if God lets us remain healthy and strong and passionate, one day we would like maybe to take a couple of the things we're most passionate about and then pray that God would give us a, a platform where that ministry could become exponential. And so with the internet, with the North American Mission Board, we begin to think, gosh, instead of just helping Woodstock, what if God, what if God let us help hundreds, thousands of churches with initiatives? And so it, it really became very exciting, not just for her, but also for me. And then to think it was God's perfect timing for the Lord to take a young man that had followed my ministry since he was 17, and now he's 37. For 10 years, he's attended my Timothy Barnabas School's conferences at Woodstock. And for three years, he was probably 35 minutes away, but he would meet with me for an hour or two hours at a time every 30 days for personal mentoring. But I did not know he was the one. And it, it was like God had certainly knew it and put it all together. And then it just became obvious this guy would be a perfect replacement for me. And so it was uh, in the context of what we call the perfect storm. It was just like everything began to line up that, you know, this would be a good time. Here I'm 66, I'm healthy, thank the Lord, uh, very passionate. Woodstock had one of his, it had his greatest year of giving and his greatest year of attendance, not of growth, but of attendance last year. What a great way to leave a church, Lord willing. In about a year and a half, the church will be debt-free, having paid $100 million in buildings and land since 1991. So it's going to, it's just, it's a good, good place. Uh, we plan to stay there. He loves us. I love him. I love him like a son. He treats me like a father. My children are there. My grandchildren are there. 
I'll be traveling a lot, but I'll look forward to the times I can be there to in support, encourage uh, what I've done my whole life, pastors, and now my pastor. And so it, it was just uh, it's something we thought about. I think where a lot of guys uh, have a, a hard time is they don't think about it enough, and they don't think, Jimmy, about what's next. You know, what would you like to do? How do you hopefully remain valuable in the context of kingdom ministry? So um, it, it's there's a lot of stuff that could be written in leadership just by what we're transitioning. So I think my, the security in my heart and, and it being an internal decision instead of an external decision, not something that I have to deal with because it's been handed to me, but something I want to do because it's inside of me. And it makes it a, a wonderful way. Everybody's saying, can the transition really be as good as it looks? And some have said, isn't it bittersweet? And I said, if God's in it, could it be, could it be sweet, sweet? Mm-hmm. And I really believe that's where we are. I just so Pastor think the Lord Johnny, has just yeah. sweetened the pot. <laughs> can I ask you, Pastor Johnny, how you went about setting that up at your church? Because I've been actually part of the pastor search committee that brought Pastor Jimmy here. And that's the traditional way to transition a Southern Baptist church is through a search committee. So how did you get ready to make that transition, not only in your own heart, but for your church to do that? And in the first week, I just simply, you know, brought it to the people, pretty much a shock to our people in the sense that Janet and I were sensing that God was bringing our ministry to an end. I said, we're not going to run off and leave you. We see this happening over a year, you know, giving the people, especially your seniors, you know, some um, encouragement and comfort and that we're not just going to walk away. And I said, and we believe that God is just transitioning us. Retirement's not part of our our uh, calling. And I said, so that's what we're going to do now. And I said, but then I'm going to come back to you later. And I have a very special request. And the request the next week was, would they affirm me? And that was the word I used. And I, and I just, I don't like to blame the Lord for stuff, but I felt like they got really spoken into my life, but I just said, I would like for you to affirm me and align me to appoint a committee and that I will assure you that the eight people that I bring to you will be all in, fully devoted financially, fully devoted missionally, very mature men and women of God that I've been able to be a part of their lives for probably 25 years. And even though I've been there 33, some of them the whole time. And they, there was a standing ovation of affirmation. My email box filled up immediately saying, are you kidding? You have encouraged and affirmed us for 30 years. And this all you're asking that we affirm you. So then the next week I brought the committee up on the platform again, standing ovation because they knew him. I mean, it was a Dr. Peacock. He's been there 40 years and you know, the people had been there well vested in the church. Then I went to the committee and simply made this statement. I really believe that God has placed in my life my successor, but I trust you all. You're a very godly group. I would like for you to meet with this young man. And if he's not the man, according to your own hearts, I totally surrender. I mean, I am not a dictator. You start your process and I'll give you names or any way I can help. They said, well, of course we'll do that. So when would you like for us to meet with him? And I said, no, not us, just you all. I don't want to be in the meeting. I want him to speak at liberty. I want you to be able to ask questions that won't be tendered 
predicated on me being in the room. They met for about four hours with uh, Jeremy Morton and his wife. After meeting with him, they just came back and said that the handwriting of God is all over this. I said, I think you ought to meet more. <laughs> so they met again, and I never went to any of the meetings. And they said, we're absolutely confident, unanimous vote, men and women, different walks of life. And so then I had them to present the next week by way of video and all that, and them on the platform that Jeremy was coming. So then the church voted. And when they voted, best we can tell, in three morning services, about 7,000 in attendance, one person voted against him. And, and it was more of he... And it's fine. He came from a, a small rural church, and he just said, we don't do it that way. We get to do all this question and answers, and I get it. You know, it's a different day, though, with a mega church. I mean, it really, really, really is. And so bottom line is he, he was voted in all practical purposes unanimously, and it has been absolutely beautiful. I think one of the things that has helped and he would say this before I would if he were on this interview with me, that it's, it's given the people a lot of confidence for them to see my confidence in my replacement. For me to stand there and refer to him as my pastor, when I'm not preaching, I do the announcements and I say, boy, let, let's pray now and pray for our pastor. God's given him a word and then I handle the invitation. And it's just, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. And then he can't preach without somehow referencing something I've said or commending my wife and I or my family. And so it's, they can tell that it's genuine. I mean, it's not, you know, just throwing it in there, you know, because we think that's what they want to hear. So it has been just, to, every, every, we've already had two publishers ask if I'd write a book. I said, we're not through yet. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I really I really feel we did it right. And basically, I could name some of my friends that are transitioning right now that would give anything to have a church that would allow them to do it the way Woodstock allowed me to do it. What a great, great story. And that's inspiring to me, Leslie. I think that would be inspiring to a lot of our listeners. And I think churches, uh, pastors of churches of any size and leaders of uh, any size ministry could learn from what you just said. And I love the way that you had an opinion. You had kind of what you thought God was wanting to do in the church, but you also allowed the church to affirm that. And they didn't have to, but they wanted to. And that's just a great testimony to your leadership. So Pastor Johnny, I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. You are making an incredible impact on multiple generations of pastors and leaders. And I hope that our listeners will check out what you're doing at nambnam.net and also at johnnyhunt.com. And uh, Pastor Johnny, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, thank you. Always a joy to be with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.